Today I want to speak to you a message called the victorious beloved. The victorious beloved. And uh, uh, most of us, when we, when we come into church, we all have ideas about God. We all have these thoughts about God. You know, uh, you know you, 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 the way you think about God is of the highest importance. As a matter of fact, the uh, theologian A.D.O.B. Tozer said, it's the most important thing how you think about God. Low thoughts about God lead to low living for God. High thoughts about God means devoted living toward God. Most of us, when we think of God, perhaps you think of God as uh, uh, maybe he's a, a little bit sad. Or maybe you think of him as mostly mad or mostly angry. Or maybe you think that he is completely emotionless. I'm here to tell you, you should read the Bible. No, our God, he, he is full of perfected emotion. Now, here's what he is not. He is not emotional. Aren't you glad God's not emotional? Come on, you were just with your family. You know what it's like to get emotional. Come on. You know, uh, aren't you glad that based upon our performance, God doesn't get emotional and just end us immediately. That's what Malachi says. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O Jacob. He said, if I did change, you're toast. You're gone. If I was emotional, you'd be gone. He, said, he says, I'm not emotional, but I do have emotion. Which we heard a lot about last week. Which is to say, he Deeply loves his children. He deeply loves. It's far more than you could ever imagine. Matter of fact, the scripture says that you should spend the rest of your days investigating that love, and you're never going to find the end of it. So it's, it's out of this idea that we are his beloved when we're in Christ, that we're his beloved, that he's pouring out this perfected emotion of love on us, that we need to understand this is where our victory comes from. Our victory comes out of God's love for us and what he has done because we were separated from him. Here's what you need to know. In the garden, Adam and Eve messed everything up. They fell away from God into sin. And the very moment God ushered them out of the garden, he instituted a plan of getting them back into his manifested presence. Matter of fact, he says to Satan... He is going to, his, her seed is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. Speaking of Christ who would come, he's going to crush your head. Oh, they'll be bruised, but they'll overcome. You're going to be defeated. And this is what you need to know, that God in his love has been setting us up all along for great victory. Great victory. That's from Genesis chapter 3. It's the very beginning. It's, it's when you know that you're so loved, even in, in our fallen state, we're loved. 
It is then that you begin to view rightly times that are tough. Today in the title, it's titled, Victorious Beloved. Well, you can't be victorious without conflict. You cannot be victorious without opposition. Or times that are trying. And I want to show you something about those moments because here's what I believe. I believe some of you right now are actually facing moments that are causing you. You, you wanted to shout last week at the revelation that you're the beloved, but you're like, ooh, but I'm looking at these circumstances. How do I get this circumstance to align with that truth? Well, perhaps there's something more to this story. I want you to go to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see this this morning. It says this. We can begin in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this uh, stone to become bread. But, but Jesus answered, saying, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish therefore if you will worship before me all will be yours and Jesus answered and said to him get behind me Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only uh, you shall serve then he brought him to Jerusalem set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him uh, went th throughout all the region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now listen, uh, what we find here is an incredible truth that Jesus was led to the wilderness. He was led. How many of you know, because we're the beloved, because we're his children, we know Jesus was the only son of God, that when the spirit leads us, he leads us in love. He leads us in love. So it was love that led him into the wilderness. Oh, listen to me. I pray that, that some of you in here will, will begin to process this properly because many of you misinterpret your wilderness or your desert. 
You think to yourself, oh no, I'm in a desert. This means I must be up for destruction because of my failures, my insufficiencies. My, my, I, I'm incapable to live up to these, the, the standards erected by religion. And, and now suddenly I find myself in a trying moment, uh, you know, having this, these things that are coming against me. And so we, we, we think, oh no. I, I must be, I must have done something wrong. And immediately we, we, we go back and we reach back into idolatry, thinking that somehow there is something that we need to do to appease the gods to change our circumstance. And yet, here in this passage, love led him to the wilderness. There's a revelation we need to start with today, and it's this. When you're the beloved of God, the desert is for our development, not our destruction. The desert isn't for your destruction. You going through a tough moment and a tough time is not about God wanting to destroy you. It's about him wanting to develop you so he can take you into another level of usefulness for him, for his kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him there. And we know that that was led by love. Now, as you and I are stepping into new things, as you and I are getting used to this idea, wow, I'm going to be mindful of his love that Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from. I'm going to live mindful of that love. Then when love leads us to a time that our flesh doesn't like, maybe we need to start paying attention. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. We just came off of Thanksgiving and feasting, but in January we will be fasting. Now, that may sound good right now since you had to let your belt out that extra loop this morning. Okay, all right, we're all in the same boat. And we think, man, I can't wait to go on a fast until the day before. And the day before, you start making excuses. Oh, that's too much work. That's too much trouble. Oh, I, I, I just went grocery shopping. Of course you did. And the Spirit is what? Leading you into a time of development where you are going to have to learn about the victory that comes from being His beloved. Now let's look at this because I actually, we, we need to embrace this idea in, a, in, a, in the right way. The desert is not a terrible place. The wilderness is not a terrible place if love has led you there. If your flesh led you there, that's terrible. That's terrible. You go into a... <laughs> you're like, I'm in a desert. Why are you in a desert? I cheated on my wife and now we're getting a divorce. That's not a desert. That's your destruction. You did that to you. That wasn't the Spirit of God leading you to that. Come on now. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I know we're all praying for supernatural weight loss, but sometimes...
And so sometimes what we're doing is, is we're saying, you know, we blame the desert that we're in. Like, oh, man, it's a spiritual experience. Well, no, you're, you're getting the just rewards of your flesh by following your flesh. But if you will follow the spirit into wilderness times, if you will follow love into times that the flesh doesn't like, come on, you could do this every day. Set an alarm for 430 some of you are like, that's no problem. Weirdo. <laughs> Just something's wrong with you. Set an alarm real early. Your body will tell you all kinds of reasons why you can't get out of bed. Oh, I'll be beside myself. Man, if I get up this early, I'm going to be extra hungry. Uh, if I get up, you know, it's like, and your, your body says, oh, and you crack and you creak. Sometimes the first victory is just over your flesh. Just getting up out of bed. Did you know, you know, that's, that's probably the greatest time of warfare, knowing that early in the morning you could seek the face of God. You could get up and get into God's word and just begin to worship him, even if it's just for a few moments before you start your day. And, you know, there's more warfare on that. But, boy, as that, as that clock ticks along and you've got to go to work or you've got that appointment to keep, you sure keep the appointment with everyone else, but we're quick to skip our appointments with heaven. Listen to me. The Spirit will lead you out of that bed back into the secret place and say, God, here I am again. My flesh didn't want to come, but my spirit did, so I drug my flesh along. You need to learn to follow the Spirit into places the flesh doesn't want to go, which is called here the wilderness or the desert. Let me tell you what happens there. First, the desert develops our true identity. This is what we're hearing. This is why we need to learn about the kingdom and not only learn about the kingdom, but who we are in the kingdom. Our true identity is developed there. Verse 3 says this, and then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Verse 9, and he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, why did Satan tempt Jesus this way? This is a temptation. Some people, I, I think erroneously say, Satan was searching for information. Like Satan didn't know for sure. I'm like, Jesus has dwelt in eternity past before time began. He was there when Satan was created. There was no mistaking Jesus when he arrived on earth. There was no question. He wasn't searching for information. Here is what Satan was doing. He was coming against his identity. He was attacking his identity. He said, if you are the son of God, why? You should write this down. Because everything in the kingdom flows out of identity. Everything in the kingdom flows out of who you are in Christ. 
If you begin to know who you are, then suddenly you'll begin to minister out of how you know who. Finally, you know who you've been created to be. You'll start ministering that way. You'll start reaching that way. You'll start loving that way. Why? Because you're not you're not ministering from the wells of your own uh, person. You are ministering from the wells of who God has created you to be, and from the wells of of salvation, you just draw joy and you spread that to those who are around you. It's birth out of identity. Everything flows out. And this attack comes on one of the greatest identifying times in Christ's life. It comes on the heels of it. Luke 3, 21, it says, when all the people were baptized... It came to pass that Jesus was also baptized, and while he prayed in the water, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Now, here's the problem. All of us have read the Gospels, and we know the end of the story, and we know everything that Jesus would accomplish, how he would minister, how he would overcome, how he would suffer, die, and come out of the grave. Here's here's what you need to realize. In this moment, he has done nothing in his messianic ministry. He has done nothing. He has been subjected to parents who lost him. He leaves a perfect father. And at 12, they lose him for days. And in those silent years, what is he doing? He's subject to them. They're not perfect, they're imperfect. But he's, he's subject to them. And listen, before he ever did one act, one miracle, this statement comes. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Listen, if you're, if, if you're getting your education about Jesus from the history channel... Um, you need to tear up that degree and throw it away because the history channel will tell you, oh yeah, there are stories of him raising birds from the dead and all this extra biblical stuff. Throw that stuff out the window, turn your TV off and open your Bible. He did nothing until he got baptized in the Holy Spirit as Messiah. Was he the son of God? Yes, he was. But I want you to hear this. Beloved You are loved by God, and it's not based on your performance. It's not based on everything that you've accomplished. When he had done nothing in his calling, God the Father announced there at the River Jordan, he said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Do you hear the voice of God saying it over you today? You, calling you by name, saying, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in you I am well pleased oh that's your identity if you're in Christ that's your identity being certain of who you are before God is imperative to answering your calling 
Satan tears at our identity in order to remove our confidence that God will do what he has said for us. He wants to tear at our identity. And here's, here's, the, here's the truth of the matter. Most people will get to the place where he believes God will do something for someone else. He may save them. He may fix their marriage. He may, he may minister them. He may deliver them. He may do it for them, but he wouldn't do it for me because, man, I have just messed up so much. I'm here to tell you. That was the first scheme in the desert. And when you're going through a tough time and Satan is railing against who you have been made to be in Christ, you need to remember, you are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. Listen to what the word of God says, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Say this with me. I am a child of God. Why are you a child of God? Here's why. Because he left the sanctuary of heaven and he came and wrapped himself in flesh and he, he endured every temptation. Overcame. Would then go to the cross and bear our sins, be buried, and on the third day be raised from the dead. How can you say that you are born again by your own will when we could do nothing to help ourselves? We were helpless. We were enemies. We were sinners and separated. But God saw us in our fallen state when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet because he loves us, comes to us. To redeem us and find us. That makes us a child of God. Listen to 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him. As he is. Say it again. I am a child of God. One that God has lavished his love upon. Lavished his mercy upon. Through Christ. And here's what we need to do. In the desert. We need to develop. That humble confidence. In who God says we are. You are my beloved. Second, time, second thing I want you to see here today is that when we as the beloved go into the desert, the desert develops our dependence on the word of God. You guys probably know this already, but verse 4 it says, But Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Verse 8, and Jesus answered him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said. You see, each time Satan tempted Christ, it was the word of God that he used as a weapon. Why did he use the word as a weapon to the, mo as a weapon to the most powerful 
being, fallen being ever created. Here's why. Because it works. It works. And it's the weapon that you're meant to wield. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that's the schemes or plans of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on a breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here's what I want you to notice. The primary use, listen to me, the primary use of the armor and the shield is protection. The primary use of the armor and the shield is protection. This isn't a small shield. This is a large shield that could actually, uh, you could hide behind it. The word in Greek for this, uh, uh, for this word, for shield that's used, it's, it's door. It's meant to be closed to the enemy. I'll teach you about that some other day. Could you whack somebody with that big old shield? Yes. But there is one thing that you can use to advance in the kingdom of God when Satan is coming against you, when, when you are getting railed, when your identity is getting attacked, when it feels like everything is crumbling. It's time to reach and find the sword. Find the word of God. Here's the thing. If I, if I turned on the 80s station, most of you could start singing the songs you haven't heard in 30 years. And then Satan starts to come against you, and you reach in your spiritual pocket, and all you got is cooling the game. Celebrate good time. Come on. Satan's going to be like, I ain't moved by that. Some of you younger kids, you know, maybe it's some, somebody else for you. It's Bieber. He ain't going to help you in those moments. You need to get down deep into the word of God and you've got to get down and find a word that when the, when Satan is coming against you and tempting you and trying to get you to betray your identity there is one thing that is going to help you it is the word of God and if you wield it properly you will see Satan flee matter of fact I prayed it this morning 730 in the morning pre-service prayer in this place I said God we at Calvary are submitted to you and your word says that when we submit to you resist the devil then devils will flee I got good news you may not have prayed this morning but we did so when you came in the door all your devils had to run away
And so you come into this open heaven. You come into this place where you can hear God, where you can experience his life. Why? Because we're standing on the word of God. And you need to know this for sure. You're not going to win wars today with arguments. Natural arguments. Facebook posts, Twitter responses are not going to win a culture war. My Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to make it obedient to Christ. I'm here to tell you that you need a weapon that is not carnal. It's not fleshly. You've got to get the word of God. And if Jesus needed the word, to defeat Satan, how much more do we? The writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, he wrote a poem, so moving, titled Precious Bible, What a Treasure. You need to hear these words and perhaps recover these ideals. Precious Bible, what a treasure does the word of God afford. All I want for life or pleasure, food and medicine, shield and sword. Let the world account me poor. Having this, I need no more. Food to which the world's a stranger. Here my hungry soul enjoys. Of excess there is no danger. Though it fills, it never cloys. On a dying Christ I feed. He is meat and drink indeed. When my faith is faint and sickly, or when Satan wounds my mind, cordials to revive me quickly. Healing medicines here I find. To the promises I flee, each affords me a remedy. In the hour of dark temptation, Satan cannot make me yield. For the word of consolation is to me a mighty shield. While the scripture truths are sure, from this malice I'm secure. Vain his threats to overcome me when I take the spirit's sword. Then with ease I drive him from me. Satan trembles at the word. Tis a sword for conquest made. Keen the edge and strong the blade. Shall I envy then the miser? Doting on his golden store? Sure I am, or should be wiser. I am rich, tis he is poor. Jesus gives me in his word food and medicine, shield and sword. I'm here to tell you, God's word is everything. God's word is everything to us. Let me give you one final truth. That when love leads you into a wilderness, into a desert, when you know I'm beloved and love is leading me to a place where my flesh is uncomfortable, he is also leading me there to gain confidence in victory. 
He's leading you to these places to gain confidence in the victory. Verse 13 says this, now when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus defeated every temptation. Here at Calvary Church, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And I make this bold, bold declaration standing on the truth of the word of God. Jesus came and never sinned one time. He was God's spotless lamb given for sacrifice. He never sinned. Therefore, Jesus overcame every temptation. The scripture says, he was tempted just like us, yet without sin. You see, Jesus de defeated every temptation. And Satan always tempts us in three areas, just like he did Christ. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three are the three areas of sin in which we're all tempted it's not of the Father, but is of the world. And Jesus faced all of these in the desert. Verse 3, he said, turn these stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. How many can you imagine that your flesh is hungry after not eating for 40 days? Some of you are hungry right now. It's only been three hours. So what did he do? By using the word of God, he overcame the lust of the flesh. Verse 5. Then the devil, taking him to a high mountain, listen to these words, showed him. He saw this. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What was that? That was overcoming. The lust of the eyes. He was overcoming in this moment the lust of the eyes. And then next, of course, verse 9, brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. What he was saying is... He's saying, listen, why don't you do something first and see if God comes in to rescue you instead of responding to what he tells you to do? You know what it is when we do something without following the leadership of the Spirit? It's called pride. So this is Jesus overcoming the pride of life. You say, why is this important? Why are you bringing this up? Because my Bible tells me that I get everything that Jesus won for me in the cross. I get it all. Every victory, I get it in Christ. And so when he defeated all sin, listen, I get the victorious empowerment through the Holy Spirit to live over sin. Listen to me. Sometimes Satan comes in a three-piece suit with a KJV Bible. And in our Bible belt, he has a southern twang. And stands on platforms comforting congregations, saying mindless, you know, mindless agreements with flesh like this. Well, we're all just sinners. I had a pastor one time tell me, uh, 
After all, pastor, I am just a man. I said, and this was another pastor. I said, well, pastor, if you are just a man, I would like to invite you to meet Jesus. Because you don't know him. Because as soon as you get born again, you stop being just a man. And the God of the universe named the Holy Spirit takes up residence. Man, when you get born again, you're no longer, listen, you are no longer just a man. And you listen to me, you're no longer just a sinner. You can stop confessing that. Why? I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I've been redeemed. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. He separated my sin as far as the east is from the west. Jesus overcame victoriously. And there is freedom and victory in Christ. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God, listen to this, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith in what? Christ. He who overcomes. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, we are victorious, beloved. We are victorious when we place faith in him. And you start going through the desert and you start using God's word. You'll start seeing Satan will run from you. If you try, listen, if you just try your self-help and you try everything from the Dr. Oz show, listen, he, 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 he's not going to help your personal life or your political life right now. Too bad. I'm telling you, you try your little self-help stuff, it's not going to work. It's not going to work in this time. Oh, but there is victory in Jesus. When you remember, oh, wait, he is, his perfect blood was spilled to pay the price for me. And he washed me and cleansed me. He, matter of fact, he cleansed me so white. The robe I wear in the spirit, it's brighter and whiter than any launder on earth could ever launder it. I am cleansed. I'm redeemed. I'm victorious. Listen, you've got to get it out of your spirit that we would compromise our thinking in such a way that we have pet sins. We treat some of our sins like we got them from the rescue, like it's noble, and it's just a mutt. There's nothing noble about hanging on to addiction or hanging on to pride or hanging on to prayerlessness. There's nothing wrong. There, there, there's nothing noble about hanging on to some kind of sinful lifestyle. There's nothing noble about it. Why? Because my Bible says in Romans chapter 6, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but you are under grace. Sin shall no longer, listen, you need to hear me. You're a child of God. Sin no longer has dominion over you. That addiction no longer has dominion over you. That anger, that malice, that envy, that hatred, it no longer has dominion over you. You can forgive. You can love. 
you can reach, you can be used by God in the last hour to see many come to Christ. Why? Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. But you might have to do stuff you don't want to do. Go places you don't want to go. Talk to people you don't want to talk to. Come on. You know gossip girl at your office? Every time you say something to her, all she does is spread it around the office. And Holy Spirit says, go talk to her. Like, no. I know what she does. What's that? Wilderness. Spirit of God saying, I want you to go somewhere where your flesh don't want you to go. That cranky neighbor. They're cranky because they don't know Christ. Go somewhere that your flesh doesn't want to go. And then you can be assured when you get there, victory will come. You don't have to be afraid. There's victory in Jesus. There's life in Jesus. And this whole idea of being beloved is so that I can finally be who God has created me to be. I don't have to live Sin conscious. By the way, I don't want you to ignore sin, but I don't want you to live sin conscious. I want you to live God conscious. I want you to live aware of him, aware of his love, aware of his desire for people. And when you do that, you'll see victory come. You'll see God move powerfully in people's lives. I want to finish today with this truth from Luke chapter 4. Scripture says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert. He was led into the desert. But when he came out of the desert, he came out differently. Scripture says he then comes out in the power of the Spirit. He goes in led by the Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. And then that scripture that God laid on Pastor Larry's heart uh, this morning was the scripture exactly following this encounter. He didn't know what I was preaching on. So when he went about and he was healing all of those diseases and setting people free, it was because he came out of the desert, the wilderness, the place where the Spirit of God led him in love, where his flesh didn't want to go. He came out in the power of God's spirit. Here's what I'm saying to you, church. If you're going through a tough moment, rejoice. If God led you there and God is leading you and you're like, God, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. Here's what you need to understand. You need to understand this. Hey, here's the truth. My identity is, is I'm a child of God. I'm deeply beloved. And that the word of God will work. My confidence is in the word of God. And when I place my faith in Christ, my victory is assured over Satan. By the way, not even death can stop us. According to uh, Paul, he said, death isn't losing. It's actually gaining. 
I get more Christ. I want to tell you today, church, there is a massive harvest field all around us. And I believe what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church is that if you would dare to receive my love and walk through moments where your flesh doesn't, it just really doesn't want to do those things, but I'll be led so I'll grow, then we're going to see the power of God's Spirit touch people. We're going to see crime fall in this region. We're going to see the meth houses shut down because people aren't shooting up. They're coming into church saying there's no high like the most high. They'll start to lay down those other vices and say Jesus is the answer. Why? Because his people said, I'm a child of God, forgiven and free. I'm going to walk in my beloved identity and I'm going to walk in the victory that he provided.